0: Coming up next on Twitch, this week in computer hardware, lifetime warranties are a joke. Dudes, did I fry my CPU 6 gigabit per second Super SSD's Intel 510 versus the OCZ Vertex 3 Intel Z68 chipset, Virtue hands-on Sandy Bridge Home Theater PC? And yes, we talk iPad 2 and ask where are the real CPU specs? All that and more coming up next on Twitch you love from people you trust. This is Twitch. Bandwidth for Twitch is provided by Cashfly at C A C H E F L Y dot com. This is Twitch, This Week in Computer Hardware, episode 109, recorded March 2nd, 2011. Dudes, did I fry my CPU?
1: This episode of This Week in Computer Hardware is sponsored by MailRoute.info. Businesses of every size use MailRoute, one user, 50,000 users, it doesn't matter. MailRoute will protect you from spam and viruses, simplify your life, and make your email usable again. Visit MailRoute.info for more details.
0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Twitch This Week in Computer Hardware. My name is Patrick Norton. Joining me as always, the man, the myth, the benchmarking, and soon to be probably red as a lobster. (laughs) <laughs> that is Shroud, very, that's actually BC a very fur. likely com.
1: scenario you know um, use
0: your uh, sunscreen wear a hat
1: yeah you can see see this nice white pasty white color that i am today uh i would i'd like to maintain that believe it or not oh, yeah. i don't tan i just burn so yes get the zinc out slather
0: yourself be shameless
1: about it <laughs> indeed <laughs>
0: Nothing, nothing less happy than having people cutting parts of your skin away because you had a melanoma. Yeah, remember, that's bad kids, Brush your teeth. Don't forget to floss. Go to the dentist every six months. <laughs> Trust me. When you're 40, you'll thank me. Yeah. <laughs> Should we even attempt to avoid talking about the iPad 2 today? I do not think
1: we can uh, do that. I mean, it's honestly, I have to admit, um, one of the editors at PC Perspective kind of sent me a note and said, oh, by the way, I posted the news about the iPad 2 stuff today. And I was like, what? And I like, completely blanked all the other stuff going on today and trying to figure out uh, some graphics card stuff uh, for, for upcoming AMD release that it had completely just bypassed my mind that it, that it had even come out. Um, so uh, was this anything different than what we kind of expected or saw in the rumors in that kind of deal, uh, either from a feature standpoint or a hardware standpoint or a tech standpoint?
0: Well, if you look at it dead on, right, it looks like the existing iPad, it's, it's a 10-inch mm-hmm. screen, it's the same screen resolution, um, but it is thinner, faster, and lighter. So they've cut two-tenths of a pound off of it, so it drops from 1.5 pounds to 1.3 pounds, they've dropped it uh, 30% down to 8.8 iPhone 4. Um, hmm. But the really big story is the, the you know, system-on-a-chip, which they're claiming, brace yourselves, 9X graphics performance improvement. It's a hmm. dual-core Apple A5 processor, which basically means uh, you know, a, a custom uh, uh, ARM processor. Apple the right. company that accelerates ARM processors, so it's a system-on-a-chip with a dual-core ARM processor. And they're claiming up to two x performance. Now, whether that's up to two x because the threaded programs will now be able to take advantage of both processors, or two x because they actually have an actual speed increase on the core speed increase on the CPU remains to be seen. Because Apple yeah. released zero details on what <laughs> the actual performance numbers on the on the CPU are. Um, prices stay the same. Uh, storage capacity stay the same. Um, Verizon and AT&T now, uh, black and white versions, both available from launch, which is on March 11th with iOS 4.3, magnets built into the case for their really cool smart case. Apparently, you now need a smart case for your tablet. And I'd I'd mock it, except it's actually a pretty clever piece of engineering, because they put magnets inside the case so that when you put the magnet, I should say magnets inside the case of the iPad, magnets are embedded in the iPad itself so that when you bring the case near the iPad, it automatically self-aligns, holds itself to the iPad, and Hmm. you can use this case as a case or as a stand to hold it up. Um, It's pretty cool. What am I missing? I'm missing something. Oh, duh, cameras, a uh, VGA (coughs) video camera, front-facing for video conferencing. Uh, 720p recording on the back camera, which I presume means it's going to be a 720p still camera also. 5x zoom, probably digital, so you don't care. And oh yes, 1080p HDMI output via an optional dongle, which I thought was fascinating because in the world of Apple slash Steve Jobs, Mm-hmm. 720p is HD enough for anybody. So I thought it was really interesting that they're doing 1080p and they're essentially mirroring So they're display doing, they're doing on 1080p the out
1: when they, the screen doesn't do 1080p, right? So yes.
0: Which I'm kind of, kind of okay with. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the, the performance is there in the processor, right? We're seeing, you know, freaking phones uh, that are doing 1080p. One of the nice things uh, is that despite the boost in. Uh, processor performance, it is promising. That basically, And it's kind of funny because they reduced weight, they reduced the thickness, they reduced the Z on the thing, they radically increased the CPU or the available CPU power, but they're right. saying that battery life is exactly the same, 10 hours, um, which usually tests out to about 11 in the real world, and 30 days standby. So I thought that was pretty exciting, actually. Yeah. Um, what it I, have, I agree. Um,
1: I don't think... Um It's not enough, like, if you already have an iPad, is this enough to want
0: to get a different one? I don't really think that it is. I have one application that's sort of a real-time 3D um, um, mapping application um mm-hmm. and it is absolutely abysmally utterly brutally um cpu throttled right now uh, yeah. at least i think it is i would like to if if i can see it running on the we're going to actually have the ipad 2 uh uh on uh, on the show next week uh uh of, uh, I was about to say uh, Ryan Shrout from GDGT. <laughs> Ryan from GDGT from Gadget.com is going to bring uh, his his demo model on. So cool. the uh, I, I'm really curious. i may actually pay the fee to to download this application on his uh, uh, CPU. It's kind of funny. They they one of the things they did do is they accelerated the uh, JavaScript engine in the browser. iOS 4.3 probably has some modest performance gains built into it. So I I, I it's kind of funny. A lot of people I know who are perfectly happy with their current iPad got in, got their hands on the, the iPad 2.0 and were like, I got to tell my wife I'm going to be upgrading, at least if I can figure out a way to convince her to let me upgrade. Because um, it's, it's a pretty right. hefty chunk of change for the, for the 3G oh, sure. 64 gigabyte version. You're looking at 800 and you know, well over 800 bucks so yeah i mean on one hand no there's no there's no single other than the cameras right and and for me it would be really tempting to be able to hand my kid the ipad with the camera and have him video conference with my mom i don't know if it's you know eight hundred and thirty dollars worth of that but if i can get somebody to buy my old ipad for you know a, a modest sum maybe i can you know his ipad with the uh with the uh one with the camera it's interesting it's it's and the other rumor that – I talked to Andy Netco uh, uh, on Techzilla, and, or Netco, I should say, and he, he he discounts all the iPad 3 by Christmas rumors that were floating around online as just being mm. uh, fluff, <laughs> for lack of a other family-friendly It seems very much
1: unlike them to do something like that, so.
0: Yeah, it would seem foolish at best. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's interesting also the, the Zoom, obviously. I, I like the idea of the Zoom. It's um, The Motorola Zoom, um, I fixed it, took a look at the Motorola Zoom and gave it a big thumbs up for having an easy to open case. It doesn't require right. any prying or cracking to open. They plan on offering the end user or, or probably uh, sending it into Motorola, but an upgrade path to a 4G modem if you should want it. Although I think that would be brutal on battery life on the already battery life challenge yeah. Zoom. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've Based been playing on, with
1: one here and like it so far, but.
0: Yeah, it, it's gonna be really interesting to see. I mean it's it's a really and just full disclosure, Motorola Zoom is a sponsor on Texilla this week, so feel free to to call me a, a, a something. <laughs> um, but it, it is everybody I know who's had their hands on it has really enjoyed working hands on with the interface on the Motorola Zoom, which I do, you know I do is not, not, not something on and I agree with that, so <laughs> Well, it's funny because like, yeah. you don't really think of Motorola as being, what a great interface. But in this case, they really seem to have sat down and designed a really good interface. So
1: They got Honeycomb to- first, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah, that good autumn type of deal. So. Uh, Other and interesting we were things talking about that happened at this CES. Week. Oh, we got uh, new SSDs, actually, a pair of them. Uh, one, <laughs> we, we, we talked about the professional version last week, I guess. And the consumer version of Vertex 3 came out, significantly cheaper, very similar performance levels. Um, Also released this week was the Intel Elmcrest, was the code name, SSD, now known as the Intel uh, 510 series solid state drive. And uh, what's interesting about this kind of comparison, these are the first, I I keep saying this and people always correct me, they're not the first SATA 6 gigabit per second SSDs, but they're the first kind of ones that people were looking forward to When the crucial C300 came out, it was kind of met with really mediocre reviews and performance. Um, So this generation is what we were hoping would be what everybody wanted in the first place. So the the Intel 510 series. What's interesting about that? It doesn't use an Intel uh, developed controller, right? So Alan was a little
0: freaked out. Well, freaked out would be a strong phrase. Alan was shocked. Like yes,
1: that. and the thing is, we had to we had to kind of like we've known about that for a little while, but we had to feign like we didn't know until we got the sample right because uh, you know it's not as ex- it's not as big of news to us. But when they told us this, they basically gave us all this information at CES um, that they weren't going to use their own controller. We were kind of like, uh, okay, so you're basically giving up any of the potential advantages you had with. Uh, fast, you know, read uh, IOs per second, that type of thing. Intel was always the fastest in IOs per second and a little bit behind on reads and quite a bit behind on write uh, speeds if you look at sequential results. Uh, So we were hoping with the Status 6 boost, they would, you know, be the best at everything. And and what they've done is they've used a Marvell controller, the exact same Marvell controller that many other SSD vendors will have access to. Uh, Corsair has come out with drives with this already. They showed those at CES. Um, Several other companies are going to come out with Micron, or crucial, I'm sorry, Micron controllers on their SSDs. And Intel was kind of like, well, look, We've done a lot of work on the firmware on this. You know, a lot of our own proprietary work went into the firmware. We, you know, we've customized the firmware. And anybody that knows a lot about SSDs will agree that the firmware of a solid state drive can make as much of an impact as a change in controller can, within limits. Um, so it it is better than other Micron controller integrations. Or I'm sorry, I'll keep saying Micron. I mean Marvel. It's a it's a Marvel controller, but it's it's not as fast as the Vertex 3. Alan, you know, did these side-by-side tests basically within a week of each other and came away much more impressed with how um, the the Vertex 3 or the Sandforce 2000 series controller looked and felt in terms of performance, real-world performance while using it, as well as, you know, just benchmark numbers compared to what the Marvell is doing. Uh, Intel said that they haven't backed out of the controller market altogether that they are going to plan to have other SSDs that use their own controllers sometime in the future. So, uh, you know, Alan kind of theorizes that maybe they're just using this Marvell as a stopgap Maybe they couldn't get theirs up in time. They couldn't get their controller finished in time. So they are, uh, you know, forced to do this to stay competitive in the market as the swarm of SATA 6G SSDs was no doubt going to be hitting the market with Sandforce, Lynx will be coming out down the road, Marvell controllers, that type of thing. So um, it's it's pretty interesting right now. And and it's, I think we're finally going to, Get away from the default answer of what's your favorite SSD. It was always an Intel X25M. And I think that is going to change over to Sandforce based drives now. So,
0: yeah, or, or going to change at least until later this year if, you know, Intel is true. for some reason going to a TikTok mode or, or just having issues developing the six uh, the, the, the new chipset. Yeah. Chip yeah. I, I thought that was, you know, Alan basically saying stopgap measure. Anand um, uh, over at nantech.com, not hugely impressed, both of them pointing out what, you know, and it's kind of funny, none of these drives, you can't buy any of these drives online or on shelves anywhere unless it's escaped a pretty awesome search by a lot of people. But, you know, it's looking at this point, the OCC, the Vertex 3 has a a bit of a price advantage, maybe 30 bucks cheaper than a comparably sized uh, Intel 510, and depending on which test you're looking at, a performance advantage. Um, Intel's saying ours is going to be better tested, but uh, you know, I'm sure Intel saying is saying that to everybody uh, in oh, the yeah. wake of Sandy Bridge. That also might just be me being catty. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's I you know these are also you know 284 bucks for a thousand unit quantities for 120 gig, 120 gigabyte drive, uh, 250 gigabyte, gigabyte at 584 thousand unit quantities. So I think it'll be interesting to see where these streets, how fast they drop, right. and if Intel, I, I I would be really leery of the Intel drive at this point um just because i'm just kind of fascinated that it's not using an intel chipset i just kind of blew my little brain out what's the story on the the z68 chipset
1: so uh, there we've kind of known about the z68 chipset for a while it's it's been a pretty poorly kept secret in the world (laughs) of uh intel's product lines but with the sandy bridge delay and all that issue there it kind of got put to the side for a little while people weren't as interested in it but now that we started talking about uh getting these replacement motherboards and people being able to access sandy bridge platforms again probably in the next week or two um which is really really fast if you think about it the the z68 is coming up because people are like well i've now do i just want to wait a little bit longer and get a z68 platform uh, the Z68 platform, according to a story over at uh, VR Zone, says that it, will, it doesn't have this, this, uh, this Cougar Point SATA bug at all. It is a B3 revision, and it's already shipping to motherboard manufacturers now. It offers the key support. The key features are support for display output which is something that the P67 chipset does not have today. You have to go to the H67 chipset if you want to use the integrated graphics on the Sandy Bridge CPUs that all of those processors have. Um, And then it also has the Z68 chipset also includes the features of the P67, which are overclocking support, you know, multiplier, bus speed adjustments, all of those kind of like, you know, uh, higher end enthusiast type mainstream enthusiasts options that you want that don't exist on the h67 so the z68 kind of combines both of those but it's also apparently going to add support for a feature called ssd caching and what's interesting about that is the idea would be you connect an ssd and a standard spindle hard drive to your uh, uh system to two just two separate SATA connections and then the intel bios will use the SSD as a cache for the main hard drive. So it's kind of creating a a hybrid SSD slash HDD hard drive storage partition on your system. So you get uh, the potential for noticeable performance improvements without necessarily losing capacity or perceived capacity. So you're getting kind of, again, the best of, best of both worlds, if it works out, you get perceived performance and perceived capacity uh, by being able to, to combine this. This is something they're doing with the, on the mobile front as well, with that Intel 310 series, like the really, really small M-SATA, M Micro-SATA, uh, I think it's Microsata connection right there. You can have that SSD and an external, or secondary, two-and-a-half inch hard drive. Now, they're looks like they're going to offer that on the desktop, which can be pretty cool.
0: Hmm. I, I I want to see the benchmarks.
1: <laughs> yes, so do we. I mean, we, we don't have any of those chipsets available yet. Uh, even if I could get a motherboard, I, I, I doubt the software is kind of you know up and running for it yet. I think the rumor in that story was that the launch time frame was uh, sometime early May for the chipsets. We've still got a little while for that. So it's one of those types of things where is it, do, do, we've already waited another couple of months since Intel had this big hiccup with their chipset schedule, you're going to wait another couple of months as well. Uh,
0: While well, we're talking about uh, performance on Intel, which kind of seems to be a theme right now, Quick Sync, the idea that you're going to have this amazing video technology for accelerating your encodes and stuff. If you right. need gaming performance and don't want to use the onboard graphics on an Intel motherboard, you lose access to Quick Sync, because as soon as you jack a, a, um, a card into the PCI Express slot, all yep. the onboard graphics goodness is is taken away from you if you're using an intel chipset um enter virtu who we've we've talked about a little bit i think it's at ces or or maybe mm-hmm. a few weeks ago uh v-i-r-t-u lucid virtu gpu virtualization virtualization software review. <laughs> i i i shouldn't try to speak um but it's basically sandy bridge graphics and discrete graphics on a pci express card Living together happily, like lions and lambs, <laughs> laying down together, uh, or right. or 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 did it?
1: <laughs> um, it actually worked. Pretty well. So, not just like QuickSync is the, is the main feature that people think of. Because, uh, you know, when you're talking about the Intel integrated graphics, the HD 3000 and 2000 series, they're not great gaming devices. And obviously, most people that listen to this show, if you're not building a home theater PC, if you're going to do any kind of light gaming on it, we always recommend a discrete card because the performance gap is is, is still really noticeable. Um, but but QuickSync is the feature that everybody points out that they miss when you don't use integrated graphics, that's that super fast video transcoding mm-hmm. feature that we talked about at Sandy Bridge on, It's really nice. But there's also, um, what's the, uh, that Intel DRM called? I can't remember the name of that all of a sudden. Uh, that new one that they were talking about, being able to do streaming online video through it and that kind of stuff. That is also oh. requires the Intel integrated graphics to function. So that's why it's only been pushed on the notebook front and not on any kind of desktop platforms, because if you're using a discrete graphics card, you don't have access to that specific DRM. Enter okay. the software that you just described, and it basically does um, something very similar to what NVIDIA Optimist does on the notebook front. NVIDIA Optimist lets you choose which GPU to run a specific application on. You know, if, if you think this would run better on a GPU, uh, or on your discrete GPU from NVIDIA, obviously in that case, then it will do that, and if it doesn't need that much horsepower, you can run on the slightly more efficient Intel graphics. Well, this takes this to the desktop platform as well, Um, and it basically does the same thing. You uh, install the graphics uh, of the driver and all the software for your Intel integrated graphics, plug in your discrete card, install the graphics for that. The the key here is you have to have the uh, monitor plugged into the integrated graphics ports on the motherboard. Uh, So it's connected to the video output on the Intel Uh, side of things. And then you install this Intel or the Lucid Virtue software that essentially does the same thing. It has a whitelist application meaning uh, it it kind of sits between DirectX and the the Windows operating system layer and it kind of intercepts what's going on it, it, it knows if you're going to run a game, it's going to put it on the discrete GPU. And if you're going to run a video playback software, DVD playback software, uh, if you're going to Intel run anything Insider. that can take advantage. Right. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, if you're going to run quick sync enabled applications, that type of thing, it will put those on, uh, on the integrated graphics. And it, and it, and it works fairly seamlessly. We, I had one really annoying problem um, that turned out not to be really related to Lucid. I don't think. Um, it seemed to be an issue with the 11.2 AMD driver not wanting to uh, adjust the clock speed of the discrete graphics when it was the secondary graphics driver on the system. That sounds like more of a bug from AMD. Uh, and, I, and I say that because I got it kind of to work with the AMD side, and I got to work the Lucid software to work completely with an NVIDIA graphics card. And uh, the performance was very comparable uh, if you had the discrete solution being piped into the integrated display output and out through that way. I mean, you could run applications in windowed mode, and it was still able to do it. It's a very unique style of software. And like I said during CES, Intel even bothered... The fact that Intel bothered to show this software at their booth kind of indicates that it has some merit to it. You know, a lot of people... uh, Dissed and did and, and, and talked down about the, the Hydra technology, the other Lucid technology that they are known for, the multi GPU scaling stuff. Um, this does apparently a, a much better job, and it has at least some form of support from, you know, a. a you know, Intel, one of the biggest companies in the industry. So it, it was actually pretty, pretty impressive. I recommend everybody go to PCPart.com and read the article here because it's, it's something that's kind of hard to put into words. Uh, there's a lot of detail. There's a lot of use case. Scenarios and the article and that type of thing. Obviously, some performance numbers and some benchmarks. There's some recommendations I have for the software and how they can improve the interface, the user interface, and the control panel still kind of feels really janky and that kind of stuff. Um, the only other problem is you're only going to be able to get this through motherboard sales currently. Uh, they're going to pack it in. So like companies like That's ASUS no and MSI are going to pack it in with Lucid, I guess, because they get bulk mass amounts of sales, right? But if you're a consumer that has an H67 motherboard or an upcoming Z68 motherboard uh, and your board partner doesn't do that, your particular board model didn't come with it, um, the the software is actually unlocked through a a key in the BIOS. I don't think it's going to be incredibly difficult to hack. Like I never... Recommend people do that, so I'm hoping that what Lucid will do is they'll figure out a way to just like sell a license of it for 30 bucks on their website or something like that to users that don't have access to it any other way. But it's uh, it's it's pretty interesting technology, and I think something that uh, once the Z68 platform is really out, because that's the key, you need to have both, you know, kind of like the enthusiast overclocking and tweaking features coupled with support for display outputs through the integrated graphics in order for this to really catch on. And that won't happen until the Z68 platform is really out there.
0: I wonder how much of the it being locked down to new motherboard sales is because motherboard vendors don't want to deal with upgrading the firmware to handle this one on older models. Yeah. Just, it, it just seems like a the non-trivial the bit of code to implement in the BIOS.
1: Yeah, but it, yeah, it, to me it's like, I guess if you're lucid, you don't want one piece of this unlock software to come out and, and filter around everybody that can download it on okay. forums, and you never you never sell it, right? So it's, <laughs> it's probably there. It's it's the safest way for them to make sure that that doesn't happen is to make it some you know some bit somehow hardware coded out of it. I don't you know I'm hoping, like I said, they'll just release a version that like any other piece of software where you get a product key for it and you activate it that way and you know, you're allowed to, to run it even if your motherboard and BIOS doesn't, doesn't ship with it. So, <laughs> That would be nice.
0: <laughs> it would take- be. Nice. <laughs> should we take a moment to thank our friends at MailRoot? Well, we definitely should.
1: If you are on the lookout for uh, a service to help you Prevent spam and viruses filtering through your email. MailRoute is the way to go. Businesses of every size use MailRoute. If you have one user, you've got 50,000 users, it doesn't really matter. They can help protect you from spam and viruses, simplify your life, and make your email usable again. It's a secure hosted service that filters virus and spam for companies of any size. I can reduce the load on your email server, lower your costs, and make your email usable. Typical MailRoute customers see a 95% reduction in their inbound email volume with virtually no false positives. Now, Leo, he loves MailRoute. He's been using the service for his domains for more than six years and uh, has been his top choice for spam and virus filtering all along. Tom Merritt of TNT started using MailRoute, and uh, now he can use email, dem- email domains rather that he'd given up as being able to use uh, as hopeless. Tom Johnson is the founder of C- and founder and CEO of MailRoute. He started one of the very first companies in this market back in 1998 called FrontBridge. It was acquired by Microsoft in 2005 and is still offered as the Microsoft Exchange hosted services line. Tom wasn't done though, and he had too many good ideas. He couldn't stand to see good waste, so he started <laughs> MailRoute, his next generation service for filtering email with a level of accuracy and a price It's unmatchable. There's nothing nothing easier for mail filtering than MailRoute either. There's no hardware or software to install. You just sign up with MailRoute and then change the MX records of your domain to start your mail flowing through the MailRoute service. And then they forward that email back onto you. They handle all the work. You just get all of the benefits. Visit mailroute.info to sign up. As a Twit listener, you'll receive a 10% discount for the life of your account, so that's pretty good. Small business accounts start at $2 per user per month for 10 users, and because of demand from the Twit army, MailRoute has added a new service for individual users as well, less than $30 per user per year. Visit mailroute.info and sign up with the email filtering service that Tom and Leo use. And again, (laughs) we thank MailRoute for their support of this slightly abbreviated episode of This Week in Computer Hardware
0: it may not be abbreviated we haven't gotten to the end yet that's
1: true that's (laughs) true let's jump into some emails you want to take this first one from Jeremy
0: Jeremy's having CPU problems. He says it did not seem to be overheating when I played games, so I didn't worry about it. But a couple of weeks ago, my computer started to act up in ways I had never seen before. Startup errors, blinking screens, corrupt video card drivers, reinstalling Windows 7 did not resolve the problem. I decided to take my computer apart and give it a good cleaning. When I removed the heatsink from my CPU, I noticed my CPU was stuck to it. This is not good. He had <laughs> pulled his CPU out of its socket without unlocking it while it was stuck to the heatsink. Technically, it is a zero insertion force socket, but it should not be a zero removal force socket. I had to gently pry it away. This, there was very little thermal paste left. My question is: This is this a sign of heat damage, or is it just some bad thermal paste that was included with the heatsink? Should I expect to purchase a new CPU soon? I have purchased new thermal paste mm. and a 100 cfm five and a quarter inch slot fan to help remedy airflow. But is this too late? Any help would be greatly appreciated. He's got a ASUS M2N uh, SLI motherboard, AMD Athlon 64 X2 6000 plus CPU, an Arctic Cooling freezer heatsink fan combo. Um, having done horrible, horrible things to perfectly innocent processors for most of my adult life, um, the really good thing is, is for several years now, um, both Intel and AMD have basically created CPU designs that if, if the thermals blow out through the thermal envelope, the comfortable operating range, the CPU, the, the processor will shut itself down. Um, is it still possible to thermally damage a processor? Yes, but it usually requires a blowtorch or some other act of incredible—you um, <laughs> know—things it, it, have to go desperately wrong. Uh, I think what you're seeing is most likely, hopefully, um, you you had improper application of of uh, the compound and probably too much compound in between your CPU and your heatsink. Um, too much compound or compound not applied properly can create can basically turn the thermal compound into an insulator rather than a conductor of heat. Um, to grossly oversimplify, and uh, that obviously can create problems. Uh, Hotter your system gets, and it gets exacerbated if you don't have good airflow in your case. The more likely you are to see a lot of weird stuff happening inside the case, uh, and you can also find that, you know, sort of other things. You know, chipset coolers aren't applied properly, VGA cooler stop. You know, the fan on your 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 GPU stops. uh, can create a lot of of weird things happening on your screen. Um, I think your first step is to do a little online research, uh, learn the best possible method, which it's uh, like uh, Arctic Silver used to have a great series of exactly how to apply, I think it was Arctic Silver, how to apply their compound to various models of, of CPU. And different CPUs, perform better with different applications of thermal compound. Because essentially, how the chips are arranged under the heat sink uh, varies depending on which model processor from which vendor at which time. Um, but generally speaking, the rule of thumb is is clean the heck out of both the heat sink and the right. CPUs. Uh, basically, the heat sink that you're attaching to the CPU and, and the piece of metal called the heat sink on the top of the CPU. Um, this is you know another place where you grab my friend 91% isopropyl alcohol, um, you know, get a pile of paper towels, get the paper towels wet, <laughs> make sure nobody's burning candles or cigarettes or flaming objects of any type anywhere near you and your alcohol and your paper <laughs> towels, or you'll go to the hospital, um, and skin grafts suck, um, and basically scrub True. all of the thermal compound off of the CPU and the uh, heat sink, and hopefully it'll come off you know, easily, unless you sort of baked it into some weird, hardened, microcrystalline structure of doom, in which case I would say just let the heat sink, the let the heat sink soak in, uh, uh, you know, a little puddle of, of alcohol for as long as possible. Don't scrape it, don't nick it. If you do, you know, if you get ticked off and grab a, you know, a, a butter knife and start scraping, um, you know, hardened compound off of the heat sink, you invariably will score the surface of the heat sink, which will make, Mm -hmm. you know, the next thing you'll be doing is going to the hardware store and buying 600, 800, 1200, 1400 grit emery cloth paper and a sheet of glass to rub the heat sink out. And it's just, just don't use hard objects to scrape thermal compound off of your heat sink. (laughs) Not a good idea. No.
1: We have an email from Bill about GPU fans, he says, I'm considering buying an MSI GTX 570 OC Twin Frozer 2 for $359 or the EVGA superclocked reference cooler, which also sells for $359. I do like less noise and less heat. So would the twin Frozer make sense, even though it only offers a two to three year warranty and EVGA's warranty is lifetime? I think you have some experience with Frozer cards. And from what I remember from the podcast, but not definite, do you recommend them over the reference GTX 570 cooler? Uh, I just had uh, somebody hand me this graphics card. It is not the 570. This is a GTX 560 using that exact same cooler or something very similar to it. so, the, the debate here is this cooler versus the reference fan, uh, but although the one that uses this cooler has a two to three year warranty, while the E B G A warranty is lifetime. I'm going to tell you something up front. I, I don't fall for the lifetime warranty thing anymore. I've seen several companies uh, go out of business. That sort of thing uh, when they offer lifetime warranties i 've seen just some stop offering lifetime warranties altogether after they 'd start offering them. This is something tangible this is uh, it 's uh, let 's say it 's like Do you take cash or do you want to take stock options? I like to take the cash. (laughs) And in my opinion, this is like taking the cash because this is real-world benefit. It's it's noticeably cooler than the reference designs. Uh, On the 560, it it was definitely the case. And it is quieter as well. So I have no problem going with these MSI cards. I like them. I like the design. Uh, And I think they've done a very good job uh, with with those coolers in general. So those two exact options right there, I go for the MSI um, GTX 570 OC Twin Frozer 2, despite its somewhat silly name.
0: You don't like the Frozer with no valves?
1: Yeah, no, I got, I'm over that. I'm <laughs> over that part of our, of our culture. So, No
0: intercaps for you.
1: Exactly. All right.
0: Email. Brian has an email. Several people emailed with about yeah, the external monster. Um, he says I have an external eSATA box with five hard drives which connects to my Windows Home Server. Something similar can be done like this to add multiple DVD drives to a single PC. You would need an eSATA PCI Express card that supports multi-lane, an eSATA cable, an old PC case for the five and a quarter inch drives. All the external eSATA enclosures I could find are three and a half inches. There actually are uh, several manufacturers of five and a quarter inch uh, optical drive cases that connect via eSATA. Uh, he mentions a case PCU and an adapter card that fans the eSATA port back to the SATA for the drives. Most of the options seem limited to four drives, but you can always use two cards and cables to get eight drives. Alexander emails a link to Adonix, uh, one of their host controller adapters. Uh, it would make it eSATA, not USB, For but there you go, Patrick. Um, yeah, look, there, there are <laughs> a dog pile of, of eSATA five and a quarter inch multiple drive bay boxes out there that would make this a uh, comparatively simple and painless process. Um, I just feel like, A, hacking together a case and a PSU I have and and this gigantic pile of optical drives I use for ripping CDs and DVDs and in the future Blu-rays and B, not using eSATA because I think eSATA sucks. I think it's uh, eSATA, if they spend a little more time designing the cable I think eSATA would be awesome but the the eSATA as a cable and as an external cable is just a giant bag of suck. Even sometimes if you're yeah well it never caught on and also it's incredibly fragile um you know we we have run into situations where we had a fairly anal retentive cautious you know pretty serious you know like like literally they have a computer and the e a box full of drives with all their video on them and the e a cable to the computer and they don't move anything or touch anything but still somehow somebody the cleaning person that dude that that you know is is incredibly noisy and obnoxious down the hallway whatever or or just simply active of of god um the eSATA cable gets bumped and then it breaks or it gets bumped while they're transferring files and, and bad things happen to the file transfer. Um, I, just, I just find eSATA is a great internal cable, uh, eSATA is a very poor attempt to take a great internal cable and use it for external purposes. You know, uh, But thank you, everyone, who emailed in for that. I appreciate it. I'm just looking to do this the hard way because I want <laughs> USB 3.0. I want something new and exciting to use with USB 3.0 before we have to replace everything with Thunderbolt. <laughs> Indeed.
1: Uh, we have an email from Elliot about adding in another card for a third display. He says he currently has an Acer Aspire G7700 which is a pretty massive case and gaming system rig there with dual screens. The graphics card is an NVIDIA GeForce 9600GT, which has been fine so far since it has two ports, but I've recently bought a third screen, and now I'll need a second card for the extra port. I was hoping you could recommend a cheap Mm -hmm. but decent card that will do the job, and if it can be linked to my current one in an SLI setup, then all the better. Though this doesn't have to be a consideration as I'm not a huge gamer. Type of input doesn't really matter either, as I can always buy an adapter in terms of VGA, HDMI, and that type of stuff. Um, So two different things. So he's got a 9600 GT, a somewhat older card. But if he's not doing a whole lot of gaming, still perfectly fine. Nvidia cards still only support two display outputs so he is going to have to have two cards if he wants to do three monitors there I think if you can still find uh, 9600 GTs that that's actually not a bad idea you will be able to put them in SLI the concern here is uh, if you can find 9600 GTs I just did a quick search on Newegg and didn't find anything but might (laughs) check eBay and Amazon and those types of places um you, you can run SLI, but you have to. You, if you're going to play a game and you want to take advantage of the extra graphics performance, you'll have to go into the control panel when you get ready to game and enable SLI. Because when you have SLI, you can only use one monitor. Okay. Um, so, like, it can only output to one display. I, at least with this generation of card, I, I believe that's still the case. Like, you can do surround if you... You know, had a a 200 series, a GTX 200, 300, or 400, or 500 series, I think, graphics cards configuration. Not really a viable option with 9600 GTs. So I think getting a 9600 GT is the best option. If you can find them, it might be a little more difficult than that. Other, I mean, your next step is you could get a GTS 450. You can basically get any other graphics card. that 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 you can think of that's available out there. It might are it might be a better gaming performer than the 9600 GT as well. So you might even want to make it your primary. Um, but you know stick with stick with another NVIDIA card so you don't have to have two drivers running. It's just one less thing to complicate it if you're not worried about gaming performance. Uh, and yeah, that's that's what I would do. But it, other than that, it's it's pretty simple and straightforward. And I looked up, I think that system and that motherboard definitely has more than one PCI Express slot, so he shouldn't have any issues there.
0: Yeah, always err to the side of having more PCI Express slots than you think you need. Chris has a question about screen resolutions. He says, my 22-inch monitor for my desktop has a native resolution of 1680 by 1050, yet many gaming laptops offer screen upgrades on their 15-inch laptops to have 1920 by 1080 HD resolution. That's 1080p, people. How can this be? Wouldn't that resolution make everything appear super tiny on a screen that size? Um, Well. Yeah, if you use the native settings you would use, if you basically leave everything unmodified, um, it's a high-resolution display, which looks great if you're talking about a retina display on an iPhone. It looks great if you're talking about 1080p on a big old screen for Blu-ray movies. Right. It looks great if you're talking about uh, video gaming, as long as you've, you've got the GPU to feed the pixels to the video or to the video screen. Um, it's not really the pixel density you need to be worried about. It's the configuration. It's, it's, it's not the hmm. number of pixels per square inch. It's what you do with them. Um, and, yeah, if you leave all of the native settings on this, you're going to open up a Word document and be like, I need the magnifying glass. <laughs> um, I, I, would, I, I would say hi-the over to lifehacker.com. Um, because they are awesome and full of win. And check out uh, How Do You Cope with High Resolution Screens, which is one of their classic call outs of advice from the viewers. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, resolution independence didn't really work out the way people thought it would, but um, there's some really interesting ideas up there. Um, and mostly, you know, you can change your DPI. There's all sorts of settings you can change in how your operating system feeds pixels or, more importantly, feeds the contents of Windows to the screen that will make things work a lot better. Uh, mostly though, gaming notebooks. But the reason people go for high-resolution displays on a gaming notebook is you end up with this unbelievable number of pixels in a small place, place, and it makes everything sure. look super amazing. Um, you yeah. know, anti-alias stuffed on a, you know, a 1080p screen. I mean, on one hand, it's, it's it's stupid to put a 1080p screen in 15 inches, absolutely utter waste of pixels. On the other hand, it sure. can look really, really good. It can be really, really useful if you're dealing with Photoshop, if you're trying to edit 720p video or 1080p video or large Photoshop files or doing desktop layout or dealing with multiple web page layouts. You know, if you have the eyes for it and you take the time to configure the settings on the desktop so you can actually use it. So, just saying. (laughs) Let's see, one... Can I say one last thing? Yes. Yes. For, for people who haven't, uh, right click on Windows 7 and go to Screen Resolution and scroll down a little bit and you'll see uh, Make Text and other items larger and smaller built right in there to the Display Control Panel. Um, <laughs> so you know that would be the that would be the easiest one. And don't start playing with the magnifier tool unless you actually actually need the magnifier tool. oh uh, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I, the only time I application or add-on for go to my pc because i'm often connecting to a 30-inch monitor on my 12-inch laptop (laughs) yeah that you want to talk about a resolution issue try doing that putting a 2560 by 1600 picture on a 12-inch on a 12-inch monitor doesn't work out well scrolling
0: Uh, scrolling 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 (laughs) scrolling scrolling
1: yeah, exactly. Well, uh, one more email here from Tim about Sandy Bridge in a home theater PC. Says he has an ASRock 330 HTBD Mini ITX system with the Atom 330 and NVIDIA Ion. Uh, he uses it uh, for watching HD AVIs and recording TV with Windows 7 Media Center in his lounge room. It does it the job, but it's quite sluggish, booting and opening apps. Uh, and I want to upgrade. I'm wondering if Sandy Bridge is a good upgrade option and if there are some Mini-ITX Sandy Bridge systems coming out, or would it be worth uh, waiting for an AMD offering this year? My goal is ultra-low power consumption, but getting a boost in performance over my lowly Atom, or would simply putting an SSD in my Atom system be a better upgrade? It's a pretty good question, and it's something that we kind of field a lot here. Um, This actual motherboard that I was showing before is a Mini-ITX, Sandy Bridge based motherboard. This is the ECS uh, H2. am um, sorry, H67H2I. Um, these will be back out in the market, I guess, in a couple of weeks. So as you can see, it's uh, pretty basic. CPU slot, two DIMM slots, one PCI graphics. Uh, it does have four SATA ports on it. USB 2.0, USB 3.0, DVI, HDMI, VGA, eSATA. I mean, it's got the whole works, Bluetooth and everything as well. Now, if he's looking for a a pre-built system, like the ASRock system that he has there or a Zotac system, I haven't seen any of those out yet. These are more um, kind of aimed at the mini ITX chassis that you can buy with external power supplies. um, Those types of things. It's not quite going to be something that you can necessarily power through like an external power brick. you might have to have you know a 250 300 watt power supply um you know and, and one of those mini itx form factors to do that but this will give you the best of both worlds because you'll get really really good computing performance and then the integrated graphics on there is great for home theater pc um and and it, it'll do everything you need to do it has a pci express graphics slot down here as well if you really want discrete graphics for some reason, you can do that. And because it's a Sandy Bridge processor, it's not, you know, like we've, I saw we have a Fusion motherboard review up at PC Perspective of the MSI E350 AI product. And it has a full-size PCI Express by 16 slot. It's kind of useless to put a discrete graphics card in there because the CPU is so underpowered that that would not be the case here. Um, So this that that's a good option for that as well. uh, If you wanted to build a home theater slash gaming PC in a very small area uh, that could be relatively quiet still as well. Um, Putting an SSD in there would definitely help, uh, though with with application load times and stuff. Maybe not as much as we would like when it's being powered by an Atom processor. Um, I mean, just despite how popular they are and how many systems they are used in, they're just not that great. They're still not that fast. And... They're good for, if you have to do something, getting things done. Otherwise, I, I personally recommend avoiding them. The AMD Fusion stuff is is quite a bit better, but not exponentially so. Something like this is going to cost you a lot more money because you have to buy the processor separate. Uh, the motherboard is going to be probably $150 on its own, uh, but it's going to be that exponentially faster total device. So
0: all Those about getting options? the most win.
1: <laughs> yes, the most uh there could be a new metric, win per dollar or something like yeah. that. We could make it up.
0: I don't know if home theater PCs also ever since I watched uh Heron build his updated home theater PC with the uh multi uh support for uh for multiple Multi-tune cable cards. Card. Of, I'm sorry. Is that the the Ceton card? Yes. Hit yeah. The Seaton that he waited for like eight months for. Um, the other thing that always struck me is, yeah, it's finally shipping. Um, there's lots of win in the Seaton tuner card, but when you're looking at uh, mini IT exports, you start you need to start paying attention to how many PCI Express slots are actually available on that. If you, you want to sure. go for the full full gaming slash you know recording a video thing.
1: True. Um, True.
0: Oh my goodness! I think we are are out of time. You are headed to Jamaica. Hopefully with a uh, large hopefully. hat.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, lots, uh, lots of sunscreen and large hats.
0: PCPer.com going offline while you are down on the island.
1: No, luckily the internet doesn't work like that. The website will still be up. Uh, other people will be running the show, so maybe they'll take it down. I don't really know. Uh, I, I, we'll <laughs> see how. Like I we said, we'll see. We'll see how internet connectivity, all that kind of stuff, goes. I'm never fully disconnected, despite what my wife would like, um, but. I will be as disconnected as I have been in a while. So, Certain high-end GPU being released next week that you'll be missing? Yep, yep. They've already shown pictures of it, the HD6990. Hopefully, we'll get a software for it, a driver for it, and somebody here will be able to test it. No promises, I guess, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> uh, what else? Anything interesting coming up on TechZilla?
0: Uh, We got hands-on with the, or we should, by the time this posts the next episode of Texila, we should be hands-on with the iPad um, 2, which I'm looking forward to getting my grubby little paws on that thing and seeing how the new dual-core processor feels. And that would be the big one that I think is coming up. We've done a... But HD Nation was really interesting this week because we had a broadcast engineer correct Robert uh, about where a flaw is introduced in between sort of master control at insert name of cable network that shall remain nameless here and <laughs> the places the error can be introduced. And in. it's kind of interesting when you start learning about from the inside perspective on this guy's basically saying you're. That dude's local cable company took my beautiful HD signal and improperly down resed it to SD uh, and, and basically created some errors in the channel. But it's, uh, we live for the HD on HD Nation. I'm <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Nice. Uh, oh, and gosh, there's something else coming up, but apparently I can't remember what it is. So, twitch at twit.tv is the email. We love your questions, your suggestions, your ideas, your thoughts. Keep sending them into us. And I got to say, that's uh, that's it. Ryan's off to Jamaica. I'm off to probably write show notes for Techzilla. I'm Patrick <laughs> Norton.
1: <laughs> I'm Ryan Trout. We'll see you next week on Twitch.